You are listening to the Rooted Ministry Podcast, a conversation advancing gospel-centered ministry to youth. For more information about Rooted, visit our website at www.rootedministry.com. This particular episode of the Rooted Podcast is from our new ongoing series called Ask Alice. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. Raise your hand if you're thrilled that the weekend is finally here. I know it's been a long week at my house. I even let my kids sleep in for a few extra minutes this morning because we were all incredibly wiped. I think that it is the season of sports and baseball and all kinds of different fun activities, but oh my goodness, we are wiped out. But I'm thrilled to be with you for the next few minutes of Ask Alice. I'm Alice Chernock, a licensed professional counselor in Birmingham, Alabama. I've been working with teenagers and adolescents for about 15 years in my private practice, and I'm thrilled to be part of the Rooted Ministry. Here we want to provide gospel-centered resources and information for both parents and youth ministers. And we receive questions daily on a variety of topics, so in order for us to tackle those, we are so excited to provide Ask Alice. Here each episode, we're going to answer a few questions that you, our listeners, have sent to us. So gather your thoughts and email us your questions. Let's talk. Starting off today, I think we're going to tackle something that I know every single parent has dealt with. And whenever I have people in my office, I can hands down guess that a parent is going to complain in some way, shape, or form about technology smartphones, cell phones, Instagram, Snapchat, something like that. And I think that it's something that has become such an epidemic that parents who have kids now, we didn't deal with this when we were growing up. And so in a lot of ways, this generation has had to become sort of the the guinea pig on how to handle um, technology and, and phones and that kind of thing. So our first question comes from Kristen, who is a mom and a master's in counseling student in Opal, in uh, not Oklahoma. Sorry, I'll get it right. Oklahoma. Um, Kristen, it's so great that you uh, sent your questions in, so I'm just going to read it out for you. You said, my kids are always on their phones, keeping Snapchat streaks with tons of people, watching stories and looking at YouTube. Even when they're with their friends, they're all on their phone. I worry about true community not being formed and the facade of closeness when really their only true connection with each other is sharing a video or liking each other's pictures. This is such the story that we hear over and over and over again. The facade of closeness. I love how you phrased that. That was really good. And yes, I agree. In a lot of ways, there is a facade of closeness when it comes to technology. I think we have to back up, though, before we dive into some of the questions and recognize that we have to normalize the complaints just a little bit. Because I think we have to remember that every generation complains about something from the generation before. And so I know that, you know, when my parents were growing up, I don't know what what your parents complained about, but their parents were complaining about smoking or drinking or gangs or something like that. 
my mom's generation, they were all complaining about Elvis and rock and roll. And so there's always going to be some kind of controversial topic for every generation. And I think that in a lot of ways, this generation's controversial topic is smartphones and social media. So I think we have to recognize that it's not all bad and it's not all good. I don't want to get us in the habit of speaking in black and white terms because there are good things to all of this. You know, in fact, we know that because of since technology has come out, we know that the language skills of our adolescents has actually increased. Their abilities to read and engaging in the written word has also increased. We know that with cell phones, there is, especially with introverted children, there's actually found to be um, a significant amount of emotional relief. Um, We know that about 20% of improvement happens um, when introverted kids especially are dealing with um, or have friends in order to talk to instead of just trying to deal with life by themselves, even if it's through the cell phone. And we also know that, you know, we can keep in touch with friends. And so for a lot of kids, it really broadens their social network. You know, not every child is comfortable with their school setting or their church environment. And so having social media really helps broaden the opportunities for kids to have friends far outside of their immediate community. They're able to get in touch with kids that they met maybe from camp or various youth retreats or things like that that they never would have been before. So yes, technology has its downfalls, but we can't forget that there are actually some really good things that have come out of this. So I want to come back though, Kristen, to what you're asking about How do we have true community being formed with kids when they're constantly on their phone? It's a very real thing, and I think it's important that we help kids see that really what we're focusing on is intimacy. When we are constantly on our phone or trying to communicate via technology, we're missing out on that intimacy that God designed for us to be in relationship. Um, We were designed to have relationships through our senses, through touch, through facial expressions, through sight. And when we have relationships that are only through the phone, we are missing out on those sensory aspects of different relationships, all right? So it's important that we can help kids understand that relationships are meant to be in an intimate environment, that that's how God created marriage to be. It's designed to be a covenant that is both vertical between us and the Lord, but it's also a horizontal relationship that if we're going to be vulnerable and intimate with somebody, we have to trust that that other person isn't just going to get bored with us and walk away. And when we have relationships that are strictly phone or technology-based, at any given moment, they can turn off the phone, they can 
I hear kids all the time say they, le- they left me on red, not the color red, R-E-D, but R-E-A-D, red, meaning the other person read my message and chose not to respond to it. And that is a lack of intimacy that comes from this. And so I think that those are some of the concerns about developing real community with, with um, students being only involved in technology dating. With technology dating, too, it becomes so super self-focused, it heightens kids' anxiety. I had a child, a, a client, about five years ago, a teenage girl, very well-liked, very popular. She had just started dating, but this dating relationship caused her so much anxiety. And the reason was because she dreaded the weekends when she and her boyfriend would actually have to spend face-to-face time together. She did not know how to have any kind of physical closeness with him because all they did was talk over the phone. So during the week, it was a great relationship. They could laugh, they could text, they could send memes to each other and have fun. But when it came to the weekend, she was literally in counseling to help deal with the anxiety of a dating relationship because she didn't know how to be in contact with him face-to-face. I think what we're seeing is that kids are spending so much time with each other over technology that when they do get face-to-face, they don't know how to have a conversation with each other. They literally have nothing to talk about because there's no time to miss each other. They are always with each other, even if it's in a purse, or a pocket, but they are always right there. So there's never any kind of fun story, oh, let me tell you this on the weekend, oh, I can't wait to tell you about that, because it's an instant, real-time conversation that's happening all day, every day. And so I think that in itself lacks the, the sense of community and intimacy that kids are experiencing because they don't have any time to get to miss each other. You know, it's true, the old saying that distance makes the heart grow fonder. And that's very true. Distance does make the heart grow fonder when it comes to um, technology and dating relationships with kids too. Um, It also prevents kids from being able to send a thoughtful response um, or, or let intense emotion sort of subside when there's this expectation that I've got to respond right away and I've got to keep this conversation going and um, I can't just leave them on red. So I think that there's some kind of breakdown in mature communication and skills in learning how to have a real relationship with somebody else. So I really like the phrase, I think it was Tim Keller that said this, that feeling emotionally intimate is not the same as being emotionally intimate, nor is feeling familiar the same as being familiar. And I think that that's what our kids are confusing. They may feel emotionally intimate with somebody, but they're not being emotionally intimate. The notion of telling so much information about about themselves is 
such a huge problem with kids that I'm seeing today. Um, there is a real struggle in setting appropriate boundaries with other, other people, other kids. Um, when I'm working with clients in my office, I use this analogy of a, a jacket that has a zipper on it. And when we meet other people, it's very appropriate for us to have our zipper zipped all the way up to our nose, all right? And then as we get to know somebody and as we can gradually start trusting somebody, we unzip our zipper down to our mouth. And then once we see how the person handles that sort of information about us, maybe we unzip our zipper a little bit farther down and we share a little bit more about ourselves and we see how they handle that information. And if that's not handled well, then we can easily zip our jacket right back up to our nose. But if we can see, okay, they are showing that they're trustworthy and they're kind, they're respectful and encouraging, maybe I'm willing to unzip my jacket a little bit farther and a little bit farther. And that's what relationships, that's what healthy boundaries and relationships do. Whereas what I'm seeing with smartphones and um, even chatting over video games, computers, that kind of thing, is that kids are, are unzipping their jacket of information way too soon, way too fast. And they're sharing very personal, private information about themselves that they would never share in person. And so I think helping kids understand the appropriateness of boundaries in developing a sense of community and a sense of self within those those fields of technology. So I feel like we could talk about this forever and ever, but I do want to move on to our next question. And this one is from Melissa, who is a mom of three boys living in Tennessee, Uh, Melissa, you got your hands full, girl. I have two boys, so I know three boys is, whoo, I love it. Um, But Melissa says that parents in her circles tend to fall into one of two camps. Either they are full of fear or they're totally naive and uninvolved with what their child is doing online. Where is the balance? Because as one of her friends said, it seems to be taking it completely away. It seems to... It seems that taking it completely away causes problems, and yet having it also causes problems. Yes, taking it away causes problems, and yet having it causes problems. We're kind of stuck in this no man's land of there's both and, you know? Um, And so I think the question is, how much is too much? And that's something that parents ask me all the time. And there's not a clear-cut answer to that. Um, Now, we do know a few things, like there's a notion called hypertexting. And what that means is that we know that more than 120 texts either sent or received in a day is considered a hypertexter. So thinking about how many texts your child sends or receives, or that could be Snapchat messages or group me's or whatever, 120 or more a day is considered a hypertexter. And when we have hypertexter, y'all, this is some pretty interesting information. They are 43 times more likely, 43% more likely 
to binge drink. They are 55% more likely to get into fights. And y'all, hold on to your seat when I tell you this one. They are 93% more likely to have four or more sexual partners by the time they finish high school. Ah, how crazy is that? All right. Just based on how many texts they're sending and receiving a day, all of these statistics are starting to come out. And so we know that hypertexting is a very real thing. And I think for me, one of the concerns that I see with hypertexting is that it is a marked increase we know in depression and anxiety with the more time spent on the phone. And so we know that when a child is receiving a text or they get their little hearts lit up from Instagram likes or Facebook, they don't use Facebook anymore, from Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is, we know that that actually targets the reward center of the brain, which is the limbic center, all right? And so when we get some kind of notification or a like or a heart, our brains get a little bitty hit of dopamine or serotonin. And when that happens, we know that oxytocin is released and we have to be so careful because we can form a legit chemical bond to this. And when that happens, it actually overrides our prefrontal cortex, which is that part of our brain that's involved in decision-making, impulse control, organization. All of those things gets interfered with when we have those little tiny hits of dopamine, which we know happens on technology. How interesting is that? All right. And so while there's no official diagnosis yet for um, technology addiction, there are definite, we're moving in that direction. So we have to ask, how much is too much? Is this interfering with their daily life? Are they spending more time on their phone than they're spending in real life building friendships? Is this something that is causing frustration to those that are around them? That's a big deal. Are they using it despite getting negative consequences, despite us nagging them to get off, despite losing sleep because they're being on their phone? That to me is a sign that we need to maybe take a step back from this. You know, I think that I think we are the most connected we have ever been in the world, and yet we are also the loneliest we have ever been. When you try to have a conversation with somebody who is looking on their screen, there is zero way that you feel like you're being heard or you're being valued, all right? And that's because we experience that lack of attention because they're so focused on technology. And our brains process that lack of attention as rejection. And that leads us to start getting defensive. So start thinking about the fights that you have with your kids. When they're on their phone and they're not listening to you and they're not listening to you, it gets more and more frustrating. But really, we know that both anger and irritation are just secondary emotions that are typically based on fear or sadness, 
All right. So while we're angry and frustrated with our kids, really what we're dealing with is feeling rejected. We're really feeling like you're not paying attention to me. You don't care about me. All right. And so I think that that's another piece where we have to focus in on how do we help our kids with some of that balance. And I think some of it starts with just basic manners. It's teaching our kids to put the phone down, face down, when they're being spoken to. When some other adult or another human being actually talks to them in person, your immediate response needs to put the phone down. And I'm going to make eye contact and show you that I am here and I'm listening to you. And I know for myself that takes discipline on my part because I can be in the middle of a phone conversation and my own kids will start trying to talk to me. And it's so easy for me to say, "Uh uh-huh, 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 hold on, hold on, hang on. You know, and so I think it takes a lot of work on all of our ends, but teaching just some basic manners. Um, I think it's also important to teach our kids how to have conversations with people that they don't know. Um, When I, I think one of the best examples is when we're at a restaurant. Having our kids from a young age state what they want to order. We are doing our kids a grave disservice when we jump in and rescue them from awkward situations such as, I would like the chicken fingers and french fries, please. All right. And so I think it's really important that we teach our kids even just basic communication skills Ask for what you need. With younger kids, you know, a lot of times you get the grunts, the uh, 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 uh. And so changing that to, I don't understand what uh, uh, uh means. So use your words and tell me what you would like. All right. So helping kids from a very early age learn basic communication skills. I think it's also important as a family to take breaks from the phone. Um, I know for myself, I've started this this year where um, on your phone, you can silence it for a few hours. And so I started silencing my phone from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m., which is really the time period that my kids are home from school. I need to be focused on helping them with homework and get her, getting dinner ready. My husband's coming home. How was your day? Let's have a conversation. And then at eight o'clock at night, when pretty much we've wound down at that point, then it's time for me to be able to pick back up with my emails or zone out on Instagram or whatever I want to do. But even just having those chunk of time helps me tremendously. Um, We also know that just the proximity of where your phone is located actually determines cognitive performance. Isn't that interesting? So if your phone is right next to you on your desk, you're going to be way less cognitively aware than if your phone is in a completely different bedroom away from you further away. All right. And so we know for our kids, having some distance, physical distance from the phone is actually really, really effective. But I also think it's important for parents that we take longer breaks with our kids from our phone. Um, I think that may look like going camping for a few days or doing something where you don't have 
cell phone accessibility. Um, I think it's really good for us to be able to have an extended period of time where we have to focus on face-to-face, deep relationships where we're actually going to be uninterrupted, we're going to look at each other, and we're going to respond. You know, I think I'm, I'm drawn back to Proverbs. Proverbs is so good in teaching us about how important the words that we say are um, and how convicting they can be. And I love, there's a, a passage in Proverbs 12, Proverbs 12, 18, that just says that the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Ah, how powerful is that? The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And I think that is so appropriate as we're talking about online um, communication because we could be so reckless with our words and they pierce like a sword. There's so many kids that I work with on a daily basis who have been bullied and damaged by the words, the reckless words that have been spoken to them over technology. And they are words that other kids would have never, ever spoken to them face to face. But we develop these online muscles where we can say anything to somebody else because we don't have to experience those senses of seeing the reaction of what our words can do. And so I think it's so important that we come back to this, that we know that the tongue of the wise brings healing. We have the ability with our words to build somebody up or tear them down so quickly. And so helping our kids see how important this is, if you're going to have technology in a phone, it is truly a responsibility in order to speak wise and bring healing with our words. I feel like we could talk about this topic forever, and I know that we'll come back to this on a different day. And I'm so grateful that you could join us this afternoon. Um, please send us your, your emails, your questions, your comments. We would love to hear it. We would love to hear um, what you're dealing with in, in your practices or in your youth group or with your own kids. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Rooted Podcast, where we hope to communicate the truths of the gospel and apply those truths to youth ministry. We would love for you to check out our website, where we publish articles daily geared towards both youth ministers and parents. You will also find resources and more information about our conferences, regional events, and more at www.rootedministry.com. This podcast is made available to you by the Rooted Ministry for educational purposes only, not to provide specific therapeutic advice. The views expressed are the personal perspectives of the author and do not represent the views of all counselors or the profession. This podcast does not create a counselor-client relationship and should not be used as a substitute for competent therapeutic counsel from a licensed professional in your state.